G'day, everybody. It's time for an LJ and Redders podcast. This one's going to be a little bit different. We're going to combine a couple of different sports. We'll have our focus on the AFL. We'll also have a quick look at the NFL because our dear friend Sam Zickman is in Manhattan at the moment. Has just seen the Giants and the Jets get pogoed at successive nights at MetLife Stadium. And then also what we'll go on and see the New York Mets at City Field. Without any further ado, and for the first time in his adult life, um, celebrating a Collingwood Premiership, it's an extremely, extremely warm welcome to Wimmerless, Wimmer Mail, sports journalist Lucas Holmes. G'day, Louis. Evening, David. Evening, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it was a pretty big weekend, not just with the AFL, but two fantastic grand finals. But oh. we'll well and truly dig into Saturday a fair bit. But no, great to see a great game of football. Some people have been calling it the best grand final of this century. I disagree with that one, but. Um, bit of recency bias there, but nonetheless, it was a great game of football, that's for sure. They were both superb grand finals. They really were. That that Sunday epic was just amazing in front of 83,000 at Stadium Australia. And, of course, 100,024 people went and watched um, Collingwood and Brisbane. Lucas Holmes himself, Lucas, I believe that if I get the uh, – please get me correct me if I'm wrong. You're a – in and about the jo- an outdoor uh, site at the jo- near the John Kane Arena, is that correct? Yeah, live site um, in Melbourne Park where they for when they have the Australian Open where they have all the pop ups and things like that. So there was a live site um, I know in the AIA Vitality Centre as well. So two live sites, and of course, you could see right next to the MCG, you could you could see the fireworks when Kisler are performing pre game, David, from out there in the live site. But great atmosphere, um, great weather too. It was hot. Um, mid, yes. mid to high mid to high twenties there on Saturday, but um, probably a little bit too hot for the for the players. But fantastic um, conditions for spectators, that's for sure. And to be quite frank, it's a pretty good grand final to to, to talk about in some length. As Lucas said, he was at the live side, and this was an extraordinary grand final. It was just superb. The fascinating thing is, it was two completely different halves. The second quarter was as good a grand final football as I have ever seen. And if you look at the breakups of the scores, Collingwood, you can't say this, but Collingwood got a 10-point gap in the first quarter and then Brisbane sort of pegged them back. But um, the second quarter, Brisbane 39 points, Collingwood 35. It was extraordinary football. And then the defensive, the defences changed and, they, and Collingwood kicked 27 points in the second half, Brisbane 29. Final scores, Collingwood 12-18, and that nearly... I said to my dad, Lucas, I said, that'll cost them, and it didn't. 12-18-80, Brisbane 13-8-86. Sorry, 12-18-90 to 13-8-86 in an absolutely brilliant grand final. It was just the most extraordinary entertainment. Um, Bobby Hill, the Norm Smith medalist, the unanimous Norm Smith medalist, when you look at the breakup of the votes, I actually thought your tip... Nick, Jack Crisp had a, a bit of a chance. I thought he was terrific. Um, Lucas, enough of me dribbling. Talk us through what you saw, and we'll go back and forth. But over to you, as as both a Juno and a Collingwood man, you must have enjoyed what was a brilliant exhibition of our sport. Oh, and, and you're spot on there, David. It was a great game. And when you look at it, as you said in your breakdown there a little bit, that second quarter is what I imagine the people at AFL House would be wanting to see and have seen a lot more in the last two or three years, open, free-flowing games of football, particularly too when Brisbane are well-known as a, as a heavy stoppage side in terms of that's where they get the majority of their scoring from. But once again, Collingwood got the jump, didn't they? The first two goals of the game um, and started to settle in as they have done in their previous two grand finals. But now Br- Brisbane came up back pretty well. Was it Caden Coleman? What at least 
it would have been just short of a dozen possessions in the first quarter, David. I think he had 18 up to half time. Thir- no, 13 and 20 he had. Yeah. 13 first quarter, 20 seconds after the first half of them there, he was a bit quieter. At, at half time, he was a fair chance. I think he would have been second in Norman Smith voting behind Hill. He was, yeah. I've got, that, I've got the full voting um, in front of me now. I'll go through that now you mention it. But, yeah, Hill, 15 votes. Coleman, five. Nick Dacos, four. Uh, Tom Mitchell, three. Jack Crisp, two. And Scott Pendlebury, one. And they have five They have five judges do the voting, David, on this occasion. It was Luke Darcy, Eddie Betts, uh, Jude Bolton, Sarah Ollie, who's a, who's a, a, a very good journalist on the uh, AFLW side of things, David, and Luke Shuey, and they all give a 3-2-1. So that's how those votes uh, uh, come together. Yeah, look, I thought Mitchell was superb for Collingwood. He was quiet, tidy, tackled the house down. I've never seen side bottom tackle so many people in his life. His tackling was extraordinary. But I thought that Mitchell, Chris, Dacos, all very good, Penelbury good. And on the Brisbane side of things, yeah, Coleman was absolutely superb. Um, Dunkley was okay. I thought he did a good job. Neil was serviceable, as was McCluggage. And I think that may be, when you look at it, Brisbane's best players were probably Coleman and Danaher. And the fact that their their guns didn't have a big day out, the, the biggest possession winner was Nick Dacos with 29, Chris 25, Mitchell 24. And the only person that got near them from Brisbane was Coleman, who had 26. Because Waleed Ali made a really interesting point on the offsiders on Saturday, Sunday morning on the ABC. He said, if this had been a Brownlow vote, Dacos would have probably got the three. And what I thought it was an interesting point, he said, but in a Norm Smith, Hill did it because he had the most effect. It's hard to add to, add to that. Oh, sorry, it's not hard to argue it. Umpires don't get statistics, do they? Umpires no. do not get the stats. So um, I, I thought you can't – sorry. Collingwood's best group of players had enough of a good day that they just shaded Brisbane. Remember, they only won by four points, and they had to kick the last two goals of the game to do it, I might add. Um is that right, or did Dan? No, Danaher. I know Danaher split. Danaher split that, them. Yeah, that, that's right. So they've kicked the last cup, two of the last three goals to do it. So it was just back and forth, back and forth. I thought Crisp was monumental. His two goals were superb from long distance. How, despite playing with broken ribs, which we didn't find out until after the game, when he got crunched, it didn't look good. It it actually looked already. It turns out he's got through at least badly bruised or broken ribs. I've had differing reports. Do you have any confirmation on how? I believe it's broken, which he alluded to it. Three broken ribs, which he alluded to uh, post-game, if not Sunday, um, yeah, on that uh, incident with Charlie Cameron in the uh, right back pocket. But as you said there, I think I think Collingwood's main group, they stood up, didn't they? And when you look at it too, yes. they keep they keep their goals in clumps. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but there was this spectacular article that was written, and I get—I wish I could give credit, but I can't because I can't find it. In terms of in terms of their increments when their goals were kicked, and you look at it quarter by quarter too. Jordan Dugowie kicked that goal uh, after the quarter time quarter time yep. siren. David uh, Chris kicked one going into half time, so that's really uh, they they finish quarters on a high, which we all know they finish their fourth quarters extremely strongly. But it's often in those first five or six minutes, like we saw in the qualifying final. Um, against Melbourne is really when they blew them away. But to Brisbane's credit, um, they stuck at it. We know how dangerous they are, again, around stoppages. And they're forward, 
the forward line wasn't too bad. Of course, Eric Hipwood had, had a day to forget, but Danaher was at three goals one. He was outstanding. And two, David, that played a little bit of a part too with Nathan Murphy going down with concussion um, in yes. the first 15 minutes. So that threw Collingwood's back six out a little bit. But again, I think they just owned the big moments. No one thought, including me, that still side bottom could kick a set shot goal from 55 metres out, David. You often see... Um, in scenarios like that, particularly him. And we saw it with Bobby Hill early in the game. Remember, he had an opportunity with a, a, at a snap at about 40 metres out, 35 out, David, in the le- on the left forward flank. And then dished he, and he lowered dished, his... Dished, dished, dished it to Pendles, who slotted it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So lowered his eyes and found the, found the target, David, a bit of poor marking, but smart on Hill's part. But I thought Danaher played an outstanding game. As we spoke about a little bit last week, Neil was taken care of by Mitchell around the stoppages. Neil ended with 21, for, which for his standards is probably a little bit quiet. Not yep. overly quiet. 21 disposals is still a, a reasonable game of football, but for his lofty standards, um, it's probably a little bit low. And you spoke about Tom Mitchell, David, and we spoke about this coming into the season. People were, were going on about why did um, why did Collingwood bring Mitchell in when he can only do one or one or two things extremely well. People seem to forget, um, maybe throwing my allegiance is a bit here, but that Collingwood needed Mitchell to do a job and those one or two jobs only, David. Contested football and pressure around the stoppage and that's exactly what he did. Ha- had, what, 13 tackles and seven clearances. So you can't argue, particularly with Taylor Adams out as well. So it was left to Dugowie and Mitchell in the middle. I was about to say, without Adams there, I think Mitchell's been one of the best three or four players on the ground. He was brilliant. I was wondering in my mind how many grand finals he played in. And he played in the losing game where Tom Boyd kicked that winning goal from inside yep. the square. I Correct. thought he might have played one of the earlier ones for Sydney, but he hadn't. So no. that was his second one. So he's one and one. I thought yep. he was superb. He just... I, I think Mitchell is, despite the fact he's won a Brownlow medal, I think he's significantly underrated. And I've I've said that I've thought that, and I just thought he did a brilliant job for Collingwood. It's interesting when you look at the disposal efficiency of their top six um, uh, uh, ball winners; they're all above seventy two percent. That's a that's pretty good use of the football. Um, Mitchell and Howe both um, dif- disposal efficiency of eighty seven point five. Now Mitchell doesn't often kick it long, but in a grand final under enormous pressure, you see. I think you saw Mitchell's vast experience. And I think that Collingwood will not regret for a second signing him, not for one second, particularly given that they'd lost Adams. He became a important inside mid, and I thought he did a very good job. I thought he was just about the best inside mid on the ground. Yeah, and and, and Mitchell is in the same scenario, of course, with Brody Grundy, uh, who will be leaving Melbourne very shortly. You would think that Hawthorne will put will put in a, a decent chunk of his salary too to get rid of. Uh, him, David, to Collingwood. So it's a pretty shrewd, um, some trades and things like that and, and free agency on Collingwood's part, of course, this season. I think they'll be a little bit more quieter um, in the trade period this year. We might get to that next week or something like that because that's just about to get underway. But there's been some fascinating news there in the last oh, 24 hours. Oh, I've, um, got that, I've got that article open because we're talking about that. Because that one I can't believe, except you see where the salary caps come to bottom. Um, interesting what hamstring injuries. For uh, Bobby Hill, outrageous first half, just electric. He lit the place up. He's got great efficiency. He's blindingly quick. Great story. XGWS Giants came back from testicular cancer, um, and his real name's Ian Hill. His name's not Bobby Hill. 
Um, but look, fantastic from him. We spoke a lot about Collingwood, Brisbane. Coleman, spectacularly good. Jesus, he was good. Dana had a good day out. I thought Harris Andrews came into it. I think one thing we need to talk about is how good a job Frampton did occupying Andrews, particularly in the first half. Frampton has completely sacrificed himself completely from getting the football. And I think Dana, he kept Harris Andrews relatively quiet. Andrews ended up with 16. Yeah, he, he, he came into the game in that in that last quarter a fair bit, Harris Andrews, and, and caused a lot of pain in the end. But it, you're right. And... And, and people are disputing it. How come a key forward can only get two touches and, and Lauded is doing a pretty good job? And, and but, but, but people tend to forget, yeah, yes, Harris Andrews is a defender, but the amount of rebounds they get off their half-back line due to their intercept marking is, is one of their main reasons they're so potent um, through the middle of the ground. And you're exactly right. Frampton, uh, Frampton sort of sacrificed himself. He only had two or three touches. David gave away two or three free kicks. But I think once... Once McStay got injured and McRae went tall, I don't think there was a way that my check from that scenario was always going to be a key forward, um, quote unquote. There, so Frampton has done a good job, and and people forget so he can play in the ruck and he can play down back. So that's more or less what he's done. He's really played a key defender's role on, on a high halfback who can give Brisbane such run and carry off their off the halfback line. I'll tell you what, if you'd have told me before the ga- start of the game that Mason Cox and Darcy Cameron would outpoint out Oscar McInerney in taps, I'd have said you're having, yourself, you're, having a, you're having an epiphany. But Cox was terrific in the ruck. He jumped into him all day. They ended up with 50 touches, in 50 tap outs to, to McInerney's 28 between them. And that's an important... I thought McInerney was kept quiet. I thought they did their job. McCox in particular jumped in women. Proved to me that he's a reasonable AFL ruckman. He's not great, but I thought he was okay in the ruck, especially in the ruck. Yeah, and as I, as I said to you, may have been post game on Saturday. It was the first time I've seen Mason Cox do this, and McInerney does it um, more often than not. It's just like a half a clearance. He just spikes it forward, um, yep. for, for, particularly from the uh, stoppages around the ground. Not as often. Uh, it's probably more effective from centre bounces because you've got your six 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 and you can break lines either way, but particularly from stoppages around the ground, Cox had just put a fist into it and spike it forward. And and again, McInerney is quite handy around the ground, David. Once the ball hits the ground, he had 13 touches. Cameron had 12. But as you said there, hit-outs-wise, yeah, what, yeah, uh, 50 to yeah, fifty to 28. So well done there. Danaher had four hit-outs himself. But um, other than that, I think McInerney's had an outstanding year, don't get me wrong. And people... Criticised Collingwood a bit for the salary dump on on Brody Grundy, but you get two players. Cox wouldn't be on all that much. Cameron wouldn't be either. Um, Cox would be on more than Cameron would be. But you get two players to do uh, in salary, pay less than what uh, a ruckman's on getting paid a more or less a million dollars a year for seven years. So I think it's again a little bit of shrewd. Um, shrewd piece of trading there and I think credit's got to do, go to Graham Wright who of course was at the forefront of that Hawthorne Triple Premiership there um, in the early to mid 2000s 2010s rather and it, and I believe he might have been a 1990 Premiership player for the Pies correct correct yeah uh, can I talk to you about two bits of play right at the end of the game yes. and I was <laughs> I was watching this with dad that were very important first was a sublime mid-air handball from Josh Dacos correction Nick Dacos but picked up 
Jordan Dugowie and opened up Dugowie and Dugowie ran in and he's got such a thumping boot and kicked the second last goal of the game for Collingwood. So it was a, if you watch it, it's a lightning handball in midair. And it, for what it did was it drew in the Brisbane defenders and it gave pasture for Dugowie. And that's one of the most dangerous things in all of football. And although he didn't have a huge day, he's proven himself to be an elite player. And then a 50-metre penalty, which I don't think anybody in football would have argued with. Still, side bottom taking a mark pretty much on centre wing. And Jared Berry, for some inexplicable reason, tackled him. Everybody, including now, I'm completely neutral in this game. I'm sure the live side all went yelled out, 50! And uh, it was 50. And then side bottom, who normally doesn't kick him from outside 50, went back and had his Luke Shuey moment and kicked a goal. Yeah, the um, yeah, of course, and Dagoe again with the date to answer your first part of the question again. Yeah, Dacos drew in a few mid-air handball. I don't think there's many players in that in that Collingwood side that could do that. Um, Pendlebury's potentially the only other one who can handball over his head fairly, uh, fairly well. Potentially side bottom as well. But as you said there, Dagoe on the run off two or three steps from fifty, he's almost he's almost better at that than he is a set shot. So. That really um, got them going, and there's been some articles on him um, si- since Grand Final, David, of the of the last couple of years of his career, which of course had had its fair share of ups and downs. But he showed he showed that he sh- repaid the faith of the club, shunned a free agency deal from St Kilda, David, in the last couple of years, and signed a uh, five year deal with the club, which which will take him to, through uh, to near twenty uh, about twenty twenty eight. So, and on the other occasion, there side bottom again. A little bit of two instances on that, Barry. He held him up initially, David, which I thought was okay with, and then, but then he tackled him and sort of well and truly took him out of play. So there's the fifty. Um, so I think the first it? instance, I think the first instance in in Barry trying to slow the game down is fair enough. But then he went with it one, probably one too many times, and it's cost them a little bit there. But yeah, as you said, the composure of um, the side bottom to go back and kick on his. Who knows what his dominant foot is, but it is his right foot. He's one of the better two uh, two leg players in the whole competition, David. But to go back from fifty five in that moment um, with the pressure on him to and go back and slot that comfortably, I, I haven't seen that from him before. The, the best NBA Poodle players that I can think of, both of them are Hawthorne players. Going back, uh, Sam Mitchell, and I still to this day don't know which side of his body is is his natural side. Darren Jarman as well was a superb player on either side of his body. Nathan Buckley wasn't too bad either. But um, I agree with you with side bottom. Um, Oleg Markov, what a story. Um, a mate gets a premiership medal at Collingwood, ex-Gold Coast player. Lucas, can I ask you about, and I know this is going to be hard for you to give it um, an unbiased opinion on, what yep. did you think of the no advantage call at the end? Lockie Neal had been legged at clear free kick. Yep. Did you think that no advantage I still think, and chatted my old man, who's pretty shrewd observer of these things, I thought that was a umpire's arm in the air and pull that ball back. I didn't think advantage was... I thought the advantage should have been called back in all honesty. Yeah, I, th- I think... So. I, I, I tend to agree with you, David. The way it was a hurried, rushed kick, um, yep. a, like a high snap, more, more or less inside the forward 50. So, you know, when often when players take advantage, particularly in those excuse me, circumstances where it's all, all tight, contested and congested, excuse me, much like my voice in my throat at the moment. Um, yeah. uh, 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 but uh, and the, the, 
And the area on the ground too, it's centre-half forward. What you, You're just outside a kick from goal, David. I think I, I don't think many people, unless you know you can kick that far on the run, are taking the advantage there. Parti- particularly at that stage of the game, you control the ball a little bit, David. You, you, you more often than not going to get a, a fairly decent set shot at goal. But so, so I agree with you that probably should have been it probably should have been paid, David. But it wasn't, and that's that. So Collingwood at premiers, Bobby Hill, the Norm Smith medalist, just a superb game of football, one of the best I've ever seen at that level. And Collingwood at premiers for the second time in thirteen years. Um, Side bottom and Pendlebury, and the third time in thirty three years. Is that what you want? Is no, that what you give no, me, Dodd? No, no. I was just going to bring up the they've made they've they've matched the sixteen, David. So it levels I, Carlton. I, I, I was, well, I, of yeah. course, you, well, you always. <laughs> yeah, I know how much you like you like hate Carlton and it's Yeah, you know, all three are level. Um, yeah, I think Carlton might add to that in the next couple of years. I really do. Essen and so. no chance. Pendlebury and side bottom get second grand final winners medals 13 years after the last time. Uh, fantastic from them. And Brisbane, they're going to win a flag. There's too much talent there. They're a great side. Gee, they're a good side. They'll learn enormously from this. Um, and yeah, look, in the end, Collingwood prevail, as I said, 12 18 to 13 8. Just a superb exhibition of football. And um, yeah, I know Louis got a big smile on his face, but. The Collingwood Army is enormous, and I think they were probably very happy and probably relieved as well to get this one out of the way because uh, they've won so many close games in the last two years, and he's another one. And when you look at their finals, I think they won by a combined uh, 12 points or 13 points, 4, 7, and 1. Does that sound right? Uh, I just have to get the Mel- the Melbourne margin four, seven, and one top of my head, but yeah, definitely. Of course, the four in the grand final and the one point win of the Giants. So um, um, I just, just have to quietly, get I, I don't, yeah. I don't. This might sound strange. I'm not sure that the Giants could have stopped Brisbane. I, that uh, Collingwood, Collingwood's defence is just a little bit better, and I think if that had been the case, I think Brisbane would have won the flag. To be honest with you. So. Yeah, that w- that would have been extremely interesting, though. And it was seven points. You're, you're spot on there with that Melbourne um, oh, margin in the first leg of finals. So there we go. Occasionally, occasionally I'm right. But no, look, looking at, theoretically, you look at that uh, Giants-Brisbane matchup, Dave, the midfield battle would have been outstanding again um, with Cornelio and Green. So you have... And, and that's Tom Graham talking. Um, and your wards and, go and, through and, there as and, well. And, and Whitfield. With field, so that would have been outstanding. The key, the key defense matchup would have been quite, would have been quite interesting as well. You would you would have thought what Sam Taylor goes to Danaher, much like the matchup there uh, with Moore and Danaher. But then I think maybe the small for small your smaller defenders, your small forwards is potentially where um, Brisbane could have got off the chain. When you look at Collingwood, David, you've got your Quainors. Um, Noble didn't play, but you've got your Quainors, you've got your Maynards, and that's probably they they did a fairly good job on Cameron. Um, um, yes, if I'm being did. honest, uh, yes, he kicked three goals, but he only had the seven touches, so it showed how how good he was when he got to the football, but it was just when he got to the football, David. The Maynard overturning of his suspension didn't win Collingwood a premiership, but it didn't hurt either, and I still think that the right decision was made. Okay, so before we head off to the NFL, a big story that's dropped, big story in one of the league's best players, 
apparently is now up for trade. Clayton Oliver, who's on a million dollars for the next seven years, big articles today saying clubs are trying to put together a package for him. I find this a bit hard to believe, but but you wonder whether there's now a salary cap squeeze if both Grundy, if Grundy and Oliver headed out the door, Melbourne might be recalibrating for multiple draft picks because they've got one from Frio. That, that, they do, David. And, and just to sort of uh, get a bit of broader context to this, Melbourne haven't come out and said that Oliver is up for trade. Um, there, there's some insiders inside the recruiting and journalistic circles. Tom Morris have uh, seen the, re- the most recent update today, but it's Cal Toomey and Riley Beveridge, of course, with AFL Trade Radio going on at the moment. There's... There's all there's all this speculation, David, every day for the next fortnight or so. But it's been those three that have been at the forefront of it. But I still think it has to uh, be a pretty decent offer to try and uh, woo, as it were, um, Clayton Oliver away from Melbourne and the and the two clubs that have been. Um, I know no, definitely one of them was Adelaide, and I believe the other one was St Kilda that have been speculated at this early stage. I know where I'd be going if I was Oliver, and it wouldn't be St Kilda. Um, I'll, I'll get, I'm reading from an Age article written by Michael Gleeson, Peter Ryan, and Andrew Wu, all three of them. They're not bad. Off. They're not bad sources either. Yeah, um, so the demons. So this is a quote everywhere. The demons have pick five in the draft, tied to the Luke Jackson trade to Frio, as well as their own pick thirteen, and they're keen to get deep in the draft. Um, and clubs are preparing for this. I don't think there's much doubt that Grundy's on his way. I think he'll end up in Sydney. Yeah, um, correct. Uh, but yeah, look, I still can't quite believe they want to break up Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver, except that they played the majority of the season without Oliver. They did all right, and they may be feeling they need to get a bit younger. The thing is, Oliver's not an old man; he's twenty six. He's, he's a year older than me. He's a year older than me. <laughs> yeah, he's not old at all. I, but and again, and sorry to cut you off, David, but this. <laughs> I'm used to you it. look at you, 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 sorry. Um, you, you you look at these two scenarios, David. It was Grundy last year, and it's Oliver this year. They just both signed in recent years long term contracts. Middle of last year for Oliver and Grundy was what early last year or late the year before. So this may um be a turning point, David. And and the thing is, they're not all that old. Gr- Grundy is what twenty seven. He's only a year or two older um at this stage than Oliver. So. That this may, the way this could end up may well and truly sort of be the nail in the coffin for those real big seven to nine year contracts. You might say Lance Franklin's is the last one. And even then, some people would say that wasn't successful. I beg to differ. I initially said that it would have to be successful if they went in premiership. When you look at the economics and things like that, I think it's turned out more than well for Sydney in the long run. I, I think that those sort of deals are fraught with danger. Because you can see why Oliver had a tragic hamstring injury, which was terrible. I also think he re-injured it, but that's another matter. So the other person that's been mentioned in today's ESPN is Tom Doty from Adelaide, wanting to head to Brisbane, which is very, very interesting because Brisbane's only going to have a number 15 draft pick. Sorry, number 17 draft pick. Yeah, do they? Um, that's come out. That that came out in the in the mid afternoon, Dave. That's that that is official in terms of his send a trade request there from Adelaide uh, to Brisbane. It really came down to Brisbane or Collingwood, funnily enough. In the end, do himself, of course, coming off an ACL injury, David. 
um, suffered sort of early to mid-season. So you won't see him, you'd think, for the first month, month and a half at least of the season. Interesting too, David, that when it comes to... Duda is not a key defender. He's sort of your third yep. sort of intercept marking defender. And, we, and, we've, and we've seen with Brisbane, particularly in recent weeks, what's going to happen there. Um, Payne um, did pass the fitness test, David. Had only played a game, David, in the in the last sort of month or so. So that's why um, Brisbane and Chris Fagan went with Darcy Gardner. Gardner only played a handful of games, David. People have said in the last couple of days since the grand final that Darcy Gardner could potentially... Well, from their perspective, they, he should seek a trade because he's not going to play um, t- a great deal of football if Payne was fit and healthy. Um, Duday would be a, a direct swap, of course, for Gardner, but that would be interesting. I'd keep your eyes on Darcy Gardner, David, and Jack Payne and how that uh, turns out there up at Brisbane. Okay, Sarah. And comp- apologies, everybody, for the mispronunciation of the surname. Um couple other minor news issues. Um, Coxby has become the second American to win a flag. Um, Callum Mills, silly boy, he's in a sling in today's press. Um, he, may, he looks like he's going to miss the uh, start of the season, which is basically inexcusable. Um, I don't often criticise players, but that one I'll do. Travis Bokes, we're going to – you go. Sign that. Have you got that that, that – if, if Cox is the f- second American, have you got the first there in front of you? Because Mike well, Pike's, Mike a Pike's Canadian. Canadian. I'm just going to see if I can find it. Um, we said at the same time, can I post it? Because that would be the only other one that would go anywhere Don, close. Don Pike. Oh. Don Pike's an American. American-born player. There you go. There you go. I didn't know that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so- Mason Cox, for those of you who's uh, a Texan, Ed, did aeronautical engineering at the University of Oklahoma, which is Lucas Wall, not his head in a minute, is a very, very good football school. And they've got a massive Red River derby this week against the University of Texas ranking at three uh, and the Cotton Bowl in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. That'll be massive. But, uh, yeah, Mason Cox, the second American-born player. There you go. And I would suggest you the first uh, former American citizen. I don't think Don Pike was ever an American citizen. So. Yeah, no, dual citizen um, Cox is now. And just while you're looking at player movements, David, uh, Todd Goldstein, uh, probably unsurprisingly, it's a surprise to some, but when you put the links in, it's not that surprising. Uh, Todd Goldstein nominated Essendon, David, as his preferred choice of club for next year. Why it's not surprising, who's the head coach there and was for years at North Melbourne? Brad Scott. Brad Scott. Okay, so lots and lots, and we'll catch up. Well, Lucas and I, will, 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 when things start moving, we'll make sure we do a, an AFL. We'll keep you in, in, informed in the off-season. We'll commit if Lucas is available to doing some AFL podcasts during the season when things happen, Louis, if you've got time for it. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Now, Lucas has had a pretty good weekend because the Denver Broncos <laughs> went, to, went to Soldier Field with 21 points down and one, if you don't mind. Um, so just a quick run through of the scores. Um, some interesting scores here, some blowouts. Buffalo was scary. The Lions, 34 of the Packers, 20. That was in Green Bay. The Jaguars, 23. Great defensive performance against the Falcons, 7. The Bills, 48. The Dolphins, 20. And just quietly, the Buffalo put them all things in cotton wool in the last quarter. That's how good they were. The Broncos, 31 over the Bears, 28. And for the second week in a row, Russell Wilson played like a pretty decent quarterback. I thought he was pretty good. The Ravens, 28 over the Browns, 3. And the Ravens are starting to roll. The Titans 27 over the Bengals 3, and that's a real worry for Cincinnati. 
The Rams in overtime over the Colts, 29-23. The Buccaneers belted the Saints, 26-9. Is Baker Mayfield having a career renaissance? The Eagles in overtime beat Washington, 34-31. Amazing result that was. The Vikings, 21-13 over the Panthers. They did enough to win. They're not very impressive, but they did the job. This is the one that I think is the most interesting. The Texans, 30, belted the Steelers, 6. And there's already knives out for Mike Tomlin, which I can't believe. The Chargers, 24 over the Raiders, 17. Yes, Lucas, there's there's articles about that today. The Cowboys... I'll come back, I'll come back to that. Yeah, that, that's ridiculous. The Cowboys, 38 over the Patriots, 3, are hiding. The 49ers, 35 over the Cardinals, 16. And the two games the Chiefs saw, uh, that Chiefs Sam Zickman saw, the Chiefs, after being 17-0 up, hung on to win 23-20 with an interesting late call, 23-20 over the Jets. And the Seahawks belted the tripe out of the Giants, who have already cut one of their running backs from that game. Um, that the, the his last name's Jones and the Giants fans are on social saying it should be the other Jones. But the C, they got sacked 10 times. That's not his fault. The Seahawks 24 over the Giants 3. Louis, let's go start. Let's go straight away. To, I didn't ask the about this, but we'll go straight away. The Broncos, that's a very good performance. Oh, watch this. Played in glorious weather in Chicago. And yes, it was glorious weather. Their defense is still porous. But that Russell Wilson show, there's a lot of ticker left. 21 of 28, 223, not huge yardage, didn't turn the football over. And they rushed for 97 yards. Pretty decent performance for the Broncos to come back from there. Over to you, I thought they were pretty good. And what they were, David. It was a tale of two halves. Again, Justin Fields had an outstanding um, first oh, half, David, at, at halftime. Six, 16 for 17 for 231 yards and three touchdowns at the half. Um the fields, but then the Broncos, as they've done in recent years, not this year, of course, have sort of turned it on from the, from their defense, David. Uh, a, a sack fumble there, Nick Benito and Jonathan Cooper going for the scoop and score. And then uh, Kareem Jackson, the veteran safety, uh, taking an interception to seal the game in the end, David. But only the second time, uh, David, it's, it's, the, it's the second highest uh, comeback for the Dem- Denver Broncos in franchise history. They've had two wins, two comeback wins where they've been down 24 points, David. Uh, the most recent of those is come, was back in 2012 when Peyton Manning engineered a comeback over the then San Diego Chargers and uh, Philip Rivers. I believe that was a, it was either a Sunday or Monday night game, David, I believe, back then. But uh, a yeah, big win for the Broncos, the first uh, in the Sean Payton. Sean Payton era, David, which is exciting. Yes. Um, and that division didn't... Uh, the Two other sides. Well, one... Th- that division is going to be real interesting. I still think there's only one team that can win it. The Lions were very impressive against the Packers, who was 27-3 at halftime. And then the Packers came back somewhat in the second half, but the Lions did enough. The Buffalo were unbelievable against Miami. They were... Their first three quarters were, were ruthless. Lucas Holmes and Josh Allen had it on a string. Uh, Diggs had it on a string. It was just, yeah, what, 21 of 25 for 320 yards for Allen. Chua, not too bad, 25 of t- 35, 282 and one and one. And the rushing yards for Miami was terrific, 142 of 19. But Buffalo, just Stefan Diggs, if you don't mind, three touchdowns, six catches. They were brilliant and they were a little bit scary. And they've, uh, yeah, the other thing is Fumble City. Mostert lost two. Uh, Eichenberg and Tua lost one each. They only ended up losing one, but you can't fumble the ball against Buffalo. You just can't do that. You can't, David. And most people, of course, were backing Miami after a thumping 50-point win over Denver in, in, in week three. But uh, I did. I did. You, you did as well. But, uh, but of course, um, 
you'd expect them to back uh, to to go down a little bit. You're not going to score 70 points, David, uh, every week. And of course, this being a AFC East uh, division matchup with Miami and Buffalo. And most people, of course, the last couple of years, um, with Josh Allen playing the way that he has done uh, for large patches, ex- expect Buffalo to be one of the three or four teams to be around uh, in the AFC Championship, David, come mid-January. So uh, they're definitely one to watch out for. Brian Dable's been at, uh, except he's not there anymore, is he? So Dable, of course, being there in the first couple of years um, no, there, in Buffalo, he's now with with New York, which we'll get to in a little bit, I believe. But yeah, outstanding. But both sides three and one, and atop the division, it's going to be a tight one too. Of course, it, most people would have expected it to be a three way fight with the Jets, and but of course, with Rogers going down with that Achilles in week in week one, uh, you'd expect it to be a two horse race. And the Patriots were hopeless in Dallas. Couldn't. Hopeless is the is an honest word. The Ravens belted the Browns. Ravens look begin to look really good in that in in their division, the AFC North. The Titans, that's a surprising one for me. I, the Titans have been ordinary. In fact, their whole division that that AFC South, they're all two and two, which is completely remarkable. Houston showing some life there. Titans very very good, and Cincinnati. There's no way Joe Burrow's fit. No way in history, Lucas. Yeah, I, and that happened what just prior the the day or two prior to training camp opening, David. And again, with those calf and hamstrings, you've more or less got to you've more or less got to take the time and sit on the pine to um to get it back up to speed. And of course, Burrow's trying to play through uh, those sort of things, David. It's ne- it's not going to improve by playing. And whilst you had a look at, at Houston, David, I'll bring up CJ Stroud for a little bit here. Interesting one for him. It's actually he's actually thrown the most pass attempts without an uh, interception, David, to the start of his career. That's 151 passes without an interception. Of course, in his uh, rookie season, David, and he's also second uh, through four games for rookies uh, in the NFL history. David, he just trails uh, Cam Newton. Of course, his uh, rookie season, uh, David, he threw for 1,386. Uh, Passing yards between in his first four games, Stroud's thrown twelve hundred and twelve through his first four games of his rookie season. Uh, and um, interestingly, Houston nice balance there: thirty r- throws and thirty-eight rushes. They pounded the ball and pounded Pittsburgh into submission. A thirty-eight for one hundred and thirty-nine for Houston. That's a very good result. Um, and it, it, they just took up time and they they belted Pittsburgh and some big. I can't believe there's people talking about Mike Tomlin. I'm sorry. Pittsburgh, well, then the Pittsburgh don't do things like that. They won't sack. I, they they won't look at him till the end of the season. I guarantee. Well, haven't they only had three friend, uh, three coaches in their franchise history? Haven't they, David Cower, uh, Tomlin being the latest two? Can't think of the first one off the top of my head. But I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be Tomlin the first domino to fall. I think it'll be Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, who's had pressure on his back for the last two seasons. Chuck Noll won four Super Bowls in, in Thank you. with a steel curtain in the seventies. Um, Buccaneers going on nicely top of their division Baker Mayfield playing good football they'll be very pleased in, in Western Florida I thought everybody everybody would have thought well what's going to happen now the great man's left but they did the job the Eagles just held on to their undefeated record um, Jalen Hurts throwing 319 yards against the very game commanders the commanders will be very pleased with that the Vikings won't play in the players but at least they won the Texans were excellent Chargers just held on to beat and are with six sacks from Khalil Mack You'd be wondering, Josh McDaniel will be looking at some his defensive coordinators there. That's just an amazing performance. We mentioned earlier the Cowboys belted the Patriots, and the Patriots are just 
they're tugging at the moment. Mac Jones got replaced. Apparently, he's going to be QB1 this week, but watch this space. The Niners did a very good job. And for mine, Lucas, I can already see the NFC playoff being between Philly and San Francisco. And they're, they're basically playing off for home field advantage in the NFC conference because I don't think there's anyone really close to them. Certainly yeah. not in the NFC South. Um, Dallas would be the Dallas would be the one that, that they wouldn't want to play the week before. That they would, David. That would be a Dallas at full strength, of course, with Trevon Diggs um, going down with, I believe it was Achilles in the last couple of weeks. So they're down one of their better cornerbacks. So cornerbacks, that is. So a big, a big loss there um, for Dallas in their secondary. But you look, you spoke about New England, David. That 35-point loss to Dallas was Bill Belichick's his, his worst in terms of margin loss of his coaching career. 35 points. Ugly. That's the only way to describe it. And they'll be held to pay. I would not have wanted to have been at that review when they got back to Foxborough that night. Goodness me. And the two games at the the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, I thought that I, – I, I think I texted someone. I said the Chiefs are going to win by 40 here. And the Jets actually showed some real ticker. 23-20 Kansas City, inclusive of a safety, which is quite rare in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes had an average day about. He's not very often you say that. 18 of 30 for 203. One and two, so two picks. Zach Wilson actually played by like an NFL quarterback. 28 of 39 for 245, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Rushed for 14 yards off two as well. Kansas City won this game on the ground with 35 rushes for 204 yards. But Kansas City, everybody, particularly Buffalo and Baltimore, will be thinking, you know what? You know what? They're gettable. Um, and at the moment, they've... Not been overly inspiring, Kansas City would be the best way of putting it, despite the fact they're leading the division and they're 3-1. and one. Yeah, but, but we've, we've seen so often, and I b- believe it might have been the 21-22 season, David. They were they, they were often slow starters. They were they got down to games. They were two, two to three scores behind and then roared back to life in the second halves to win those games. And they've, of course, had some pre- pretty big um, structures when it comes to rosters and things, of course, with Tyreek Hill, going down there and spending time on South Beach in Florida. But uh, still a very, very complete roster. Of course, Travis Kelsey's been in the headlines, not for all the wrong reasons, but for some, some reasons that are, well, obviously known, but that you and I probably don't pay too much attention to. But you spoke about their run game, David. They've gone away from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was one of their top running back selections in a draft a couple of years ago. Isaiah Pacheco was at least a fifth-round pick from, from, a, from a season or two ago and has taken... Uh, the, the RB1 mantle there for Matt Nagy and um, and for Andy Reid, who Nagy, of course, back there after he was dismissed in Chicago. And the uh, the other running back who had a reasonable day was Christian McCaffrey with, if you don't mind, four <laughs> touchdowns, 20, of, uh, 20 rushes, 106 yards, three on the ground and one reception. And uh, I think Christian McCaffrey, if he stays fit, will be in the MVP um, um, thoughts later on the year. And then, the less said about the Giants, who had a patched-up offensive line, and see the Seahawks just pounded them. There's no mercy in the NFL. 24-3, uh, the Seahawks, and the Giants just a day to forget. And, of course, the New York fans are filthy. In the AFC East, Buffalo and Miami on their own 3-1, and one, the other two won't make it. Forget them. The AFC North's a little bit different. Baltimore's 3-1, and one, Pittsburgh and Cleveland 2-2, two and two, Cincinnati 1-3. and three. I think that division will have some more life in it yet. The AFC South, remarkably, all of them are 500, 2-2. Two and two. Quite remarkable. Kansas City and LA are on top of the AFC West. It will stay that way. It's just a matter of whether LA, the LA Chargers can possibly look us get a wild card or maybe even win the division. But you would think that would stay reasonably in that area. 
the Broncos aren't much chop except they've actually shown some spine after getting pounded. I thought they were very, very professional in coming back against Chicago. And hopefully your Broncos will get a few more wins in the next few weeks and get themselves back near 500. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough stretch, though. Um, Jets, of course, this weekend. But then we play the Packers. And I believe it's you've got you've got uh, Kansas City there twice in three weeks in and around the bye. So a, a tough stretch. But some, some, some key veterans, David, uh, on the IR at the moment. Justin Simmons, hasn't there. he's a top five safety in the league. He hasn't played the last two games. Uh, Frank Clark, a veteran out, uh, outside linebacker, hasn't played the last two. And Josie Jewell, who's a really a run fit. Uh, run funnel middle linebacker, David. He hasn't played the last couple either. So some veterans there are uh, looking to return back from injury. But um, again, uh, AFC West was the talk of the town last year, of course, with Russ coming across. But uh, still four uh, decent quarterbacks. Of course, Gropper didn't play on the weekend. David was out with concussion. So the uh, the Raiders went with a rookie rather than their backup in Brian Hoyer, of course, uh, around Josh McDaniels for that long period of time there in New England. And i tell you what, um, uh, uh, after watching uh, at in focus for a while, I'll tell you what, Jerry Judy's a decent footballer, goodness me. Serious talent. In the NFC East, Philly's undefeated. These are, the NFC's got the only two undefeated sides in the Niners and Philly. I think it'll finish this way. Philly and Dallas, top two, and then Washington, a third. Still with a chance, New York Giants are hopeless at the moment. Yep. Detroit's, Detroit's now got their own destiny. They're 3-1 on top of the NFC North. Minnesota showing a yelp. Tampa on top of the NFC South on three and one, the Falcons and the, you see how important that that this that Saints loss was, and then the Niners are on top of the. You would think for mine that the Niners and the Seahawks will probably go through from that division because the Seattle is actually a pretty good football side, and San Francisco are an extraordinary football side. So, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I, you you start to see some patterns form, some big games this week. Oh, let's have a look at some of the bigger games. Oh, well, Baltimore and Pittsburgh's always big. Those two hate each other's guts. There's some buys this weekend, first buys of the year. Cleveland, the Chargers, Seattle and Tampa have a rest. Oh, my goodness me. The Sunday night game, if you don't mind. Dallas at San Francisco. Wow. Let's see how good Dallas actually are. There you go. Um, Denver, I think the Broncos are going strong favourites against the Jets. and that they, they need this win, Denver. That This gives them a bit of momentum, to be honest with you. Louis, is that fair? Yeah, back at home, David, and of course, of those comments that Short Payton uh, made of the previous regime and Nathaniel Hackett and the like. And of course, Hackett now with the Jets. So a bit of a re- revenge game for either side, if you look at it. If if Rogers was fit, of course he isn't, you'd probably favour the Jets, even though it's at mile high. But uh, of course, still their offence is extremely good. Garrett Wilson, outsta- outstanding wide receiver. Uh, Bruce Hall coming back from an ACL. They picked up Dalvin Cook as well, who's looked a little bit of a shell of himself in the backfield lately, but uh, still a very well-rounded side. Uh, the Jets, of course, just missing the... Uh, he's not the number 12 anymore, is he? He's the number eight down there in the in the Meadowlands. That's right. Um, Houston, Atlanta. Um, Houston fighting to get that past 500 for the first time in an eternity. Um uh, Jackson and Bu- Jacksonville and Buffalo head over to this time to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium after last week's game in England was at Wembley. This one's at, uh, the, uh, at the at White Hart Lane version two. Um, but that the highlight clearly Green Bay have Vegas on Monday Night Football in Allegiant Stadium. But the highlight of the entire weekend is the Sunday night game that everybody sits back and watch. Normally it's broadcast by Tony Romo and Jim Nance. It was not last Sunday night. 
But make sure you're watching that if you get a chance. Dallas at San Francisco and possibly a, a curtain raiser for a, a playoff later on in the year, Lucas, in January. Uh, and it's in you, San Francisco. You, you think so? Of course, they're at Levi's in their, in their still fairly new um, stadium down there in Santa Clara. So a big game there. Um, Dak's been, again, haven't watched much Cowboys this year, of course, but um, a big game. As, as you said earlier there, if it, the MVP is almost like the Brownlow, isn't it? it? It's a quarterback. It's a midfield competition in terms of medals. But from a, from a football purity standpoint, David, and, and, you, and you're spot on, Christian McCaffrey has to be up there. Um, no doubt about it. No doubt at all, um, in my mind. It's the big games there again. It's great to see football being played in London. Thursday night football, Chicago and Washington. Washington need to win that and win that well. Um, but look, some huge games there. But um, I, I can't pick San Francisco. I can't pick Dallas and anyone against San Francisco at Santa Clara. Interestingly, for those of you that know the area, Santa Clara has got completely different climate than San Francisco. San Francisco gets fog and whatever. Santa Clara is quite a way south. It's about thirty miles south. It's a long way. It gets a little bit of a different climate, and it's usually pretty good weather there. So that takes us through uh, week four, week into week five of the NFL. Things starting to work themselves out. As I said, Cleveland, the Chargers, the Seahawks, and Tampa get a well-earned week off. Louis, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for uh, doing NFL as well with me. I know you love the game, and I, I asked Lucas, and he was more than keen, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you very much, Louis. I really appreciate that, mate. And as always, your insights, and uh, mate, have a great weekend. Yeah, not a problem at all, David. Pretty big shoes to fill on the on the back half of the podcast, of course. Normally having Sam, hope he's uh, living it up over there, and um, it'll be good to catch up shortly. But not a problem at all, of course. Uh, AFL done in terms of season now, of course, with the trade period getting underway. I believe it's on the ninth, so uh, we'll we'll be back probably in the next week or two, of course, with some big moves. Most of those are done now, though. Um, Due Dave is probably the the main domino to fall when it comes to free agency. Um, Goldstein, of course, nominating Essendon, and there's a, if those couple of trades and uh, moves pan out as we think they should, um, you'll see Brody Grundy in red and white. You'd imagine in the 2024 season. Absolutely, Louis. Thank you so much. We'll catch up with you very shortly. As soon as things come up, just contact me. We'll get back here and and keep everybody up to date. And of course, we've got the draft later on. We'll talk about that as well. And anything that comes up, the AFL's very rarely quiet. So. Lucas will just reach out or one of us will reach out and you'll get, we'll cop a podcast in the summer. Thank you so much, mate. We'll catch up with you very shortly. Not a problem. Some some local interest down here in the Wimmer for the upcoming draft as well. So I'll keep you posted there. Oh, very good. I actually was speaking to someone the other day at, at a coffee shop and he said, oh, yeah, I, I, uh, oh, uh, I, I've got a friend who's in Viola and I said, that's the home of the Southern Mallee Giants. And he said, very good. And I said, no, that's not up to me. That's up to the man, <laughs> Lucas Holmes, because I knew exactly who it was. He was quite surprised that a Muppet New South Wales knew where the Southern Mallee Giants were. So there you go. Uh, that's good. On behalf of Lucas Holmes, this is David Redden. Good evening, everybody. Bye-bye.